From KCRW, this is Here Be Monsters, and a quick warning that this episode includes descriptions of genocide. I had been investigating a mass grave in northern Afghanistan for years. Uh, it was dug out of the ground, and my colleagues and I needed to find out all we could about who took this alleged mass grave site. We began looking at retrospective satellite imagery, and we found a, a, a shot with basically a backhoe at the site, uh, removing soil from two pit locations. That moment is where I saw the potential application of satellite imagery analysis for evidence collection. I saw the possibility for what we could do proactively even before a crime had been committed. This was in 2009. Back then, getting, you know, even two, three small shots was a big deal. There's this sort of assumption of omnipotence, this idea that we can see micro-movements No one is tracking you as an individual with a satellite. People look like little dots. They they look like little dots. Uh, We once had a moment where we confused, thank God we caught it, but we confused what we thought was a formation of infantry with what turned out to be a herd of longhorn cattle. And so while resolution has improved, analysts and the technology are not omnipotent They are fallible. I I think the biggest misunderstanding is that, you know, satellites are not the eye of Sauron. (laughs) Um, And additionally, where they are most dangerous is um, in analysis failures through negligence. It's drawing conclusions that you scientifically can't make. I would say when I was younger, I was much more driven by ego. And this, this changed for me over time. I, I learned it really early on when we lost our witnesses um, in the Dashi Lely investigation in Afghanistan when they were murdered. You know, I was in my early 20s. I didn't then, I was so young, I didn't realize what the stakes were. They were bystanders. They had done the right thing because they had seen a wrong, and I felt culpable um, in their death. And suddenly, everything I was doing was driven by the ghosts of five or six dead Afghan um, backhoe and truck drivers. Ever since then, I know what the stakes are in human terms, and I take that very, very seriously. Here Be Monsters, the podcast about 
an ambient protective effect. The podcast about the unknown. One week from today, southern Sudan will vote whether to break away from the north, a vote many fear could result in mass atrocities and even genocide. North and South fought an ugly civil war that lasted decades and claimed the lives of two million people. The mainly African South and predominantly Arab North fought almost 40 years over the past six decades. The conflict was over differences in ideology, politics, resources, land and oil. The most recent war raged from 1983 to 2005. The fighting killed an estimated two million people. You've got to understand the political context at this point. The U.S. National Security Council is um, pushing for a peaceful secession of South Sudan. Meanwhile, Sudan says, um, we're, we're not going to do anything. We're fine. And South Sudan says, we're pretty worried. Now there's fighting there once more in one of the most remote corners of a vast country. Nathaniel Raymond had been working as a humanitarian and human rights investigator for more than a decade when he turned his attention to Sudan, the largest country in Africa, as it prepared to split into two. The conflict was mainly between two groups, the Sudan Armed Forces, or SAF, which is the official military branch of the Sudanese government in the north, and the Sudan People's Liberation Army, or SPLA, a guerrilla movement in the south. After decades of fighting, the North and South reached an agreement that would make South Sudan independent from Sudan. But three regions remained unsettled, Abye, Blue Nile, and South Kordofan. These regions are rich with oil and fertile farmlands and were claimed by both North and South. Civilians in these regions, mostly nomadic shepherds and farmers, were caught in the middle, vulnerable to violence from both sides. A few years prior, while Nathaniel was investigating an alleged war crime in Afghanistan, He'd been introduced to the idea of using satellite imagery for evidence collection. Nathaniel wondered if this approach could be more proactive, less passive. Instead of just using satellite imagery to document crimes after the fact, maybe he could figure out a way to see an attack coming and sound the alarm before the atrocities even occurred. He wrote a proposal from a project he nicknamed BatSignal and sent the proposal to Google, hoping they'd let him work with Google Earth. His proposal sat in a desk for a few years until it got the attention of George Clooney. Clooney and other organizations invested in Nathaniel's project. They called it the Satellite Sentinel Project. And even genocide. Actor and activist George Clooney has a new project to use satellite technology. Here's how he hopes the Satellite Sentinel Project will work. The Sudanese government had already been accused of committing genocide in Darfur, a region in western Sudan, just a few years before all this. High-ranking Sudanese officials, including the president and members of his cabinet, had even been indicted by the UN's International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity. If the SAF went on the offense and attempted to take contested regions by force, Sudan risked further indictments, sanctions, and outside military intervention. Satellite Sentinel Project was a private, civilian-operated intervention with no ties to the U.S. military. But even so, Nathaniel and his team hoped that publicly releasing any evidence of violence or even the intention of violence, would be enough to deter Sudan from drawing more ire from the international community. 
At any given time, there are a half dozen commercial satellites over the north-south border of Sudan. The project will get high-resolution photographs of Sudan from those satellites and post them on their website. That, website. that way, you at home can monitor what's going on on the ground in southern Sudan. But will the world watching make a difference? Our exclusive guest this morning, George Clooney, joining us from Los Angeles. So, George, happy new year, Jake. Happy new year to you. So, George. Uh, so let's say uh, in the first report, which is in we wanted to see if being under surveillance would change the calculus. If they knew they were being watched, would they make different decisions? Would they not attack? This idea that we were going to project an ambient protective effect, that somehow this data could, could protect people now... I would not put so much faith in data itself. A nation is born. The scene in South Sudan is nothing less than electric. What was Africa's largest nation is now split into two. South Sudan is one of the poorest and least developed places on the planet. It may have oil, but land disputes over contested border areas with the north are still unresolved and could be a problem in the future. For now though, the festivities overshadow such fears. And South Sudan eagerly awaits its recognition by the United Nations as the 193rd country in the world. Satellite Sentinel says it shows a fresh wave of violence in the hotly contested region between South Sudan, which just voted for independence, and the government in the north. Satellite Sentinel managed to obtain this video confirming that parts of two villages overflown by the satellite were indeed burned. The hope is that distributing these images might prevent the violence from escalating. We would release at midnight, which would be morning, Africa time because we wanted to hit the news cycle on the BBC and we wanted to be able to to basically be morning news in East Africa. People were handing out in Sudan laminated, uh, purportedly laminated copies of our reports to people who were hiding in caves. And, and there was an apocryphal story told to me by a, an individual who worked for a foundation who said that he was in Sudan and he asked people where they got their early warning information from, and they pointed up. And they were referring to George Clooney's satellites. And this is important. Every major attack by the SAF during our 18 months would be at night, often under cloud cover, on long three-day American holiday weekends. Now, we don't know why for sure, but the probabilistic assumption is that they thought we weren't working. And we can't prove this, but there are moments that seem to us 
that their tradecraft, their means of um, uh, avoiding detection, um, was evolving because we were in the game. The team and I began to realize that they were going to attack right at the cusp of the reins. Strategically, it meant they would be able to run under cloud cover. And so as the rains come, it obscures our view and it allows deniability. So I, I remember, I think it was February, we caught our first burner. We would call a burned village a burner. Those early burners, there was evidence of selection that someone had walked on the ground with a torch and chosen what to burn. Analysts say this picture documents the deliberate burning of some 300 residential buildings in the Abyei region of Sudan. It was taken by a privately owned satellite for an organization called Satellite Sentinel and then posted on the internet. Some of these areas are effectively off limits to journalists and sometimes the public never sees ground level footage of what's happening in places like this. High above the clouds, Nathaniel and his team could see forced swells in strategic areas in land claimed by both north and south. Roads being built seemingly in the middle of nowhere, tanks and trucks lining up in the brush. The patterns they noticed told a clear story. Abye Town, capital of one of the contested regions, was about to be attacked by the SAF, Sudan Armed Forces. Satellite Sentinel Project released a report about a month before the attack to try and warn civilians that violence was imminent. Some people had enough warning to get out in time. Many did not. The civilians during the night appeared to have run from the town. This was a tragedy. But for us, you've got to understand that we caught it. We saw it. <laughs> we said, they're coming, and we caught it. Um, I'm sure there were many civilian casualties but the fact is, you want them to be able to get out of the kill box. And here, the door was still open in time. By early June, we're seeing massive force swell move north of Abye Town, including a gigantic armed convoy moving through Kadugli. And Ahmed Haroun was the governor for South Kordofan, which Kadugli then was the capital of. Ahmed Haroun um, was basically the, the, the ground guy in Darfur. In 2011, he's indicted for crimes against humanity, for genocide. When Haroun showed up in the spring, that was, uh, that was a sign. Ahmed Haroun, in civilian clothes, is the state governor. The International Criminal Court has charged him with crimes against humanity in Darfur. Addressing the troops before an attack on a rebel base, he says, you must hand over the place clean, swept, rubbed, crushed. Don't bring them back alive. We have no space for them. 
Don't bring them back, repeats the army commander. Beat them raw. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Peter Grester, Al Jazeera in the Nuba Mountains of southern Kordofan, Sudan. Kaduglia is in the Nuba Mountains. So if you envision Kaduglia, it's in this valley. There's the orchards, mango groves on one side, and bridges that run south. And it's a relatively big city. There's two stadiums, giant soccer stadium, and there's even a Hollywood-type sign. And it would say in Arabic, um, Kadugli, the town of peace and love. And people who I know who have served in Kadugli as humanitarians say that before the killing, it was one of the most wonderful places they were in Sudan and that they loved it. The Satellite Sentinel project has released new images which it says are evidence that the Sudan Armed Forces is preparing a major offensive in Kadugli. Fighting has raged across Sudan's tense border region since early June between the Northern Army and troops aligned to the south. When you see a military checkpoint from space, it can tell you one of two things. One is they're trying to keep people out of an area or the other is they're trying to keep people in. One of the ways you recognize the difference about what a checkpoint's purpose is, is which way the guns are facing. You know, I look back and like, it almost seems like we were naive, but there was this moment of, huh, why do you think all the guns are facing towards the town? It becomes very clear quickly that they are house to house clearing the town. And we get this image of the tents swelling outside of the UN compound. And what we later learn is that it was civilians that ran outside the kill box, outside the checkpoints, and they had gathered at the UN base seeking sanctuary. Our sourcing is basically saying that it's a trap. Meanwhile, Ahmed Haroun said that he wanted all of the people displaced to come to the stadium and to hear a speech about their future. So we know they're in big trouble. In Cambridge, where we were, the clouds had come and it was raining. <laughs> in Kadugli, where they were, the clouds had come and it was raining. Rilke wrote famously, Il pleure dans mon corps. It's raining in my heart. That's how it felt as it began to set in that we were watching a systematic murder of an entire city. The clouds part after Haroon calls for them to come to the stadium. There's detritus on the ground, but there's no evidence of displaced people. They're gone. Now, there could have been as many as 7,000 people there, we don't know. And we don't know what happened afterwards, but we have to safely assume they're dead. And this was the moment. I, I got the team together 
And I had to give him the saddest speech I've ever had to give to anyone because they were so caught in the dream of rescue. And I had to address them and say, team, um, we're not in detection posture anymore. And we're not in interdiction posture. We are in documentation posture. It's on. It's happening. And the, the people we are watching from above um, will likely not survive, and we likely cannot save them. So you need to let go now. We need to get in a mental place where we let go of our dream of rescue. And now our mission is to avenge them. We need ground knowledge immediately. We had to get the edges of this shot precise, right? We couldn't do a big area. If we were off, we would miss it. So at this point, the Enough Project identifies the silver bullet source. His code name was Job uh, from the Old Testament. I'm not going to tell you everything about Job, <laughs> but um, the night the killing started in Kadugli around that time, I don't know exactly when, Job's wife gave birth and it went badly. The baby survived, mama survived, but they were stuck in hiding. Their neighbors are being killed around them. The people are gone. <laughs> There's house to house killing. There's what we think could potentially be body bags. We're getting the sum of all fears reports from the ground. And then he begins to direct us towards the grave. He's like, it's south from the radio tower. He said he had seen vehicles going there. And he says that there's one giant trench down there. So we were looking further up, and he's like, it's down. So we basically got a sense of his shoe size. <laughs> and we figured out that he could pace his way from the radio tower from one landmark down to the other at night. And with that, we would have the math we needed to set the shot. The fastest bird we can bring in on location is QuickBird, a beloved satellite that has now been uh, decommissioned. QuickBird was our quickest way to guarantee a hit as soon as possible. We are looking up at the sky and saying, come on, quick bird, <laughs> come on. Because <laughs> at that point we had two ground witnesses and now we had to get the shot that would independently corroborate the location of the grave. And I just, I want to pause here. And I want you to think about this. That a man with a wife and a child in danger, in a place where his neighbors and family are being killed around him. I mean, you know, dogs carrying pieces of dead bodies around at night, okay? He risks his life when he thinks he may not make it out to go and walk with his shoe size down to this grave. 
that man, one of the most vulnerable people in the world, is suddenly responsible for a several hundred million dollar U.S. sponsored spacecraft. Everyone was, you know, uh, smoke them if you got them. We try to sleep <laughs> and we get up in the morning. We got it. We got it. And it was so close. We, if the, the edge was off just a little, we would have lost part of it. And it was in a place where just a few weeks before there was nothing. Suddenly, the, not only was there one giant trench, there was three. Three trenches. In the South Kordofan region of Sudan, the Nubin people have been at odds with the Sudanese government for years, and now there's growing evidence the government is using indiscriminate force to consolidate its hold on the region. In addition to these images of wounded children collected by Al Jazeera, newly released satellite images seem to show mass graves, body bags, and the widespread presence of Sudanese government forces in the city of Kadugli. Satellite Sentinel Project ran for 18 months from December 2010 to June 2012. In total, they released 28 public reports and developed a methodology for analyzing images and ground reports in real time. Harvard, which is home to Satellite Sentinel Project, continues to research and teach the methodology that Nathaniel and his team developed. Fighting in Sudan and South Sudan has continued since 2011. A lot of the people displaced in the conflict fled to the Nuba Mountains to live in hiding in caves. The Sudan Armed Forces denies that any civilians have been targeted in the conflict and says that their peacekeeping efforts were only acted upon rebels. Despite all of the reports and press about what Satellite Sentinel Project documented, there has never been a formal investigation by the UN into the massacre at Kadugli, and Ahmed Haroun was never indicted for his role. As of late 2011, Source Job and his family were still alive, though Nathaniel doesn't know where they are now. Nathaniel is now a lecturer on global affairs at Yale's Jackson Institute. Justice takes a really long time. The real work of justice, which is not about a movie star and a Ivy League university, but about actually interviewing witnesses on the ground and having mandate and jurisdiction to access those alleged grave sites. Until that's done, it will always feel our, like our mission is still incomplete. There are so many critiques of Satellite Sentinel over the years, but the one that I wish people would critique us most on is the question of um, why you? <laughs> um, uh, what right do you have to act with this new technology in an experimental way on behalf of those who may be affected by your assumptions and aspirations, your bright, shiny thing. Um, who made you a uh, sheriff? <laughs> and uh, and, and the, the issue is that um, who made us sheriff? Well, Harvard, George Clooney's money, Digital Globe, uh, and their satellites. Satellite Sentinel did a lot of things right. But um, 
fundamentally, it was an imposed intervention. It was an imposed solution in many ways without the agency and voice of the people that we were acting 450 miles above the Earth's surface, uh, presumably on the behalf of. This was, yes, it was always a Hail Mary pass. Yes, it was done with the best of intentions, but the fact of the matter is that it, we must be clear, it was always an experiment. Um, and, and that in itself is problematic. We, we could see the invasion of Abye coming. So for, for us, it was, well, what else were we gonna do? Sit on our hands? While we were working on this story, Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir was ousted in a military coup and arrested by the Sudanese government on April 11, 2019. He was removed from power after months of protests in Sudan over rising fuel and food prices. And a few days later, actually a few days ago, other members of Sudan's ruling political party were also arrested, including Ahmed Haroun. Both Haroun and Bashir are wanted by the International Criminal Court for crimes against humanity and genocide in Darfur. Garrett Tiedemann produced this episode. He's a journalist, filmmaker, and composer out of Minneapolis, and he's worked with us several times now. He got in touch with us after seeing Nathaniel talk about Satellite Sentinel Project at the I.O. Festival in 2018. We'll have a link to Nathaniel's I.O. talk, photos from Satellite Sentinel Project, and more of Garrett's work on our website, hbmpodcast.com. I'm Bethany Denton, and I edited this episode with help from Jeff Emptman. Music on this episode was composed by Garrett Tiedemann. Here Be Monsters is distributed by KCRW. Our senior editor there is Nick White. We get additional support for freelance contributions from KCRW's independent producer project. Thanks for listening. More episodes soon. <laughs>